Get in the car. Right at us. The best in the business, Roger Cleveland. Can't wait to get back to Chicago in this one. This is Party of Four, a Mistwood Golf Club podcast. You already know, you already hit that play button. It is the Party of Four, a Mistwood Golf Club podcast, just as you heard. Ben Hutchison alongside Mistwood Director of Golf, Andy Michelson. What's up? How you doing? Nothing. It looks like you're like Adrian Wojnarowski, guy from the NBA, just checking your phone, Adam Schefter, like people are sending you stuff, breaking news, anything good? No. <laughs> like just, just watching stopping, golf videos. Stopping through old crap on Instagram. <laughs> nice. <laughs> just checking the content. That's funny. Making sure yeah. we're working hard here. Yeah, we've been killing it. Putting out a lot, though. We've been putting out a lot. We've been doing some fun things, but just wrapped up our member guest weekend. For those that don't know, why don't you take them through it a little bit? Yeah, so um, obviously we have a a cool membership here. We have uh, 225 members, but we have um, 72 of them that participated in this past weekend's member guest. They brought, uh, obviously, guests from kind of all over the country. Had a great time. Uh, the food was outstanding. The level of play was was really good. Good competitive event. Um, we did have uh, same champions as last year, even though they're getting a little bit less shots this year. <laughs> so that was good. No, it was a, it was a good competitive event, and um, can't thank everybody enough that was involved. And it's, a, it's one of those things where everybody during the event, they come up to you like, man, isn't this – this is going to stink for you guys. It's got to be so hard for you guys to stink. You know what stinks is when you're just showing up on a Tuesday, it's the same day, and then Wednesday is the same day, and Thursday is the same day. So for us, for staff, it's actually pretty cool to be able to serve and entertain people in a way that we do here, which is different, I feel like, than anywhere else. I like the member guests. You get to see a lot of the familiar members that you do see out here a lot. Obviously, some that don't participate on a daily basis playing golf here. Uh, but yeah, Paul DeGeese, Jay Bowder winning back to back. You talked about the food, the culinary show. We have a big dinner on Friday night, lobster tail, smoked chicken, salad, chef made ice cream sandwiches. Did you get one of those? I did not. You were all in on the lobster tail. See, we've, I think, I don't know if we talked about it on this. I'm not a huge pizza and ice cream guy. I'm not a big chocolate ice cream. I'm not a big chocolate ice cream or pizza guy. Like I don't like drive home and go, Man, I need Culver so bad, like eighty-five percent of the rest of America, right? Just not a big ice cream guy. Now, bag of pistachios. If you were giving that away at the end, I'm all over that. You were just eating, I believe. Was that a peanut butter cup? Uh, it was a white chocolate peanut butter cup from probably Easter um, or last the, Halloween. Or last Halloween, it was sitting here in the office. Um, one of those mindless, like grab. You know, things and eat. There might be a reason why I'm carrying a couple extra LBs. It's okay. Just stupid stuff like that. I support the Skittles, though. Big Skittles guy. Yeah. Skittles are okay. Skittles are kind of those mindless, mindless things. No, I mean, they're never never going to be like, oh, damn, Skittles are my favorite candy. I've never heard anybody say Skittles are my favorite candy. I probably would actually say that. Really? Yeah, I'm not a huge chocolate guy. Those melt everything else, but. More than Swedish fish. Juji fruits, like I'm that guy. Swedish fish are good too. Swedish fish are great. I guess I like chewy, fruity candies. That would probably go across, Mike and Ike, go across the board. Where do you sit on licorice? You have like a certain licorice you like? I only like the red Red licorice. Yeah, I don't, the red vines are the ones you can peel, the 
twist and peel type. Uh, those are terrible. I just like anything the strawberry cherry. I don't like black licorice. Once you get into that in any candy, any flavor, no, 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 no. Are you like full straight line, like crack level sugar with uh, the nerd clusters? Have you had those? I've had those. Oh my God. Tasty. Oh my God. Those are crazy. I like chewy nerds back in the day over normal nerds. Huh. Were they nerds? I don't know. There was a chewy, chewy version. There's a chewy spree. Spree. Those were chewy and they were delicious. Yeah, those were a little much. Ooh. I guess the clusters are probably what I'm referring to when you do like nerd yeah, chewy nerd clusters. clusters. Yeah, yeah, it's more. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, the sprees. Those were good. Where, where did we start with that? What? Why did we go on that topic? Uh, we were talking about how you don't oh, like ice cream and it. chocolate, yep. and then yep. we went to things you do like. Yep. So yep. it's nice to go off the tracks a little <laughs> bit, especially in the first four minutes of a podcast. Crash and, crash and burn. <laughs> you make a plan, you have a production, and you just do that, which yep. is fun. Yep. I don't mind that. So either way, it was a great weekend. We had Seth Mercer here playing a little guitar, singing. Actually, shout out. He'll be here in July for one of our concert series outside the tavern. Yeah, he was good. He's good. He's got a cool voice. So uh, he was covering some Morgan Wallen out there. So ladies. Yeah, I would would describe it as if you put in your Pandora station the combination of Morgan Wallen radio and Third Eye Blind radio. He was, like, killing it. He had some Coldplay, Third Eye Blind, which I love. Dropped a little Matchbox 20. I'm not like a Counting Crows type. Uh, uh, I didn't mix. Blues Traveler, like, like Rasp. Like Matchbox 23 AM. Like he was, I mean, he was killing it. He yeah. might have done Closing Time, Semi-Sonic. I mean. Semi-Sonic. Yeah, he didn't like that. Yeah, that was good. So we got through the weekend. We move on to the week. We have junior golf camps going on. I was down there getting some pictures, the drills, the games, the activities, it's a fun part of summer here at Mistwood. Yeah, it's it, it's it's really good. So we, um, I think we run it a little bit different. I would say uh, better. Can we say better? I would say better. Yeah. Okay. So we we run our junior golf camps a little bit better than most. Uh, we have a good. We do. I'm just throwing it out there. We have like a five to one combination. So five students for every instructor. So we, you know, it's not like just an absolute zoo and. You know, kids getting hurt or any type of danger. So we take them in kind of three different phases of the game, the three most important phases of the game, short game, you know, with the emphasis on putting, chipping wedges, and then long game, irons, wood, stuff like that. Um, But in the process, you know, we're we're trying to keep it fun. We have games involved with that. Um, Obviously, popsicles are just a regular thing on a daily basis, making sure we take plenty of breaks. It's funny when you get done with these things all the time, they're like – what's your favorite part of the week? It's like popsicles. Like, Oh, okay. That was 50 cents. Like, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, we, we try to put all this time, effort and energy in, but it's funny with these kids because you see them now. And then we might see them come into our program, like in the winter and then we'll see them next summer. And then they just turn that corner. They just naturally turn that corner. And it's, it's really kind of just time, right? It's the time and time, effort and energy that parents put in. It's like anything else. Uh, you know, you see all those things on, on Instagram about how if you did this for a certain time every day, you would absolutely would get better at it. It's golf. There's no shortcuts in golf. We've talked about that before. And with these type of, you know, clinics and 
lessons and things like that. I mean, they're really kind of like almost like the hybrid in between a traditional clinic and a one-on-one lesson really. So, cause the amount of information that they're getting is a very high level. And then whatever we're trying to put into a game or something that we're doing with the kids, there's a reason for it. Cause they're going to get better by, you know, putting these activities to use. So you have four days. What ultimately is the goal? If this is some of the first golf they've experienced. Obviously, the goal is to to continue, right? So I actually had the, I had this conversation with the dad this morning. He goes, so the girls on Monday came with one club, or I'm sorry, they came with no clubs. So we provided them a seven iron. They came yesterday with a set of clubs. Then I talked to the dad this morning, as he was dropping his girls off, and he said they wanted to go to the driving range last night. And then after today's, which is just three days in, I mean, it shouldn't go this fast, but they're like. Should we try to go play? And I said, well, it might be a little early for that, but let them, you know, hit balls a little bit more on the range. You know, if you want to come out here or putt or chip or whatever, you know, so be it. That's fine. I would say maybe it's a little early, but, you know, it sounds like at the end of this whole thing, they actually want to go play golf. So they went from zero to playing golf in in one week. So I've heard a lot of good positive feedback from the parents. I mean, I hope hopefully they're not blowing smoke. So I think we're I think we got the right process here. And what kind of age range are we talking with these? Uh, you know, we put it out there seven to twelve, um, just because that's kind of what, where a lot of beginners fall. Um, but you might catch a nine year old that's super good. You might catch a twelve year old that's never touched a club before. So you know, we kind of leave that wide open. We group them. So because we have the teacher to student ratio that we have. We group them in specific groups of like players. So I've got like one group of five that I know have basically not touched a club much beyond top golf. That blows me away too. Is in the past, you talk to a kid and you're like, hey, have you ever played golf before? And they'd say mini golf. In this class, I said, have you ever played golf before? And they're like, well, we've been to top golf. It's like, well, that's golf. Mm-hmm. Right? And you know, it's like, it's pretty interesting how. You know, we've heard it from like Chip Brewer in the past when we've done the show. Like, that's going to be the biggest growth initiative in golf, and it will continue to be that way. Like, for somebody to say, "Oh, well, it wasn't miniature golf; it's top golf." Like, well, wait, that's that's still golf. So, it's nice because you're getting them, you're getting them. I feel like further down the chain, like they know at least somewhat how to make a golf swing, or somewhat how to hold a club, or somewhat to to hit a golf ball. What's necessary, so uh, makes things a little bit easier. It definitely immerses them into the game and in a fun way. So you're not getting the initial frustration of everything and you want to be good at hitting and the ball. And that's why you have to engage them in a different way, right? Because you can't just like line up 12 of them across the range and go, all right, one, two, three, hit. Okay, reload. One, two, three, hit. I grew up at those golf camps, you know? All right, everybody pick the ball out of the basket. Everybody put it down. Everybody hit a shot. And it was like, it's like anything else. Like the kids that hung around after the golf camp and had some extra putts and some extra shots, those are the kids that ended up being good. Kids that were like, when is this done? When's my mom coming? Like, okay, those kids are, you know, just in it because their parents wanted them in it. So yeah, it, it's been the same in some fashion. It's just we have to make it more entertaining because of the fact there's so many things, like even phones, for example, that make golf look ultra fun, even though golf's hard. And golf's supposed to be hard. In order to get better at golf, you got to do the stuff that's not fun. Uh, I'm actually going through this with my own daughter. We had a little spat today, but I won't get into. 
mom's mom's pretty upset with me. So, but I can't say your daughter's got a lot of talent. She got a lot of talent, but you know she could use a little, well, a lot more work in the short game area. We've talked about that before too. I think we can all we can all work on the short game. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's all about the strokes and the putts, man. It is. But the good news is, there's more camps later in the summer. Yep, yep. There are more camps later in the summer, and you know, I think it's probably pretty close to filling up. So see, yeah. check availability on our site for that. But um, the cool thing about us versus somebody else, we we engage all winter too, so we have options in the winter. Um, so just kind of make sure that you're staying in tune with that. We'll have winter information stuff coming usually out uh, right around in September. So um, just check out for that. Yep, cap program, Mistwood Golf Dome, year-round operation. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Which you need. You need to keep practicing. Yeah, I can't think of a week in the 52-week calendar that we're not working with juniors in some fashion. Awesome. Well, let's get to our guest segment we have today. It is a conversation you and LPGA teaching pro Nicole Jure had with Illinois women's golf coach Renee Sloan. Here's what she had to say about golf and development. Started playing golf uh, just before my seventh birthday and, and um, just loved the game, loved playing, loved competing, traveling, and um, each year uh, just played in more tournaments, bigger tournaments, more traveling, uh, played on – my boys' high school team, uh, because at that point in time, we did not have a girls' high school team. Uh, my senior year, we did have four girls uh, go out, so we did have a girls' team. So uh, that was helpful in the transition to to college golf. Um, and, yes, I played here at the University of Illinois and played a good amount with Nicole. And in college, we, we got paired to get together quite often. And then um, following college, I played professionally for, for eight years. Um, between LPGA, at the time it was called the Futures Tour, uh, played over in Asia for a bit as well, and uh, then was an assistant pro, general manager at, at some clubs down the southeast, and then the opportunity arose to uh, to come back to the university uh, as my college coach was retiring, and uh, I was fortunate to to be given that opportunity, and I've been here now. I'm in my 17th year. So that that just wasn't – I don't feel like that was good enough. You're a three-time All-American, <laughs> which I don't know how many women have actually been three-time All-Americans. That's That's got to be a small list, right? Well, I, there, there, I'm sure there, <laughs> there are a few. There, I'm sure there are quite a, a number of them if we did, did some research. But, um, but yes, yes. What, what kind of – I mean, what drove you as far as like in college especially? What, what was kind of that driving factor for you? What, right? what, what do you think set you apart? What set me apart? Ooh, what set me apart? Uh, uh, I, I guess, you know, I, obviously it, it, it takes a certain work ethic um, and just a desire and passion and, and willingness to do those the little things. But, um, you know, I, I feel like uh, I had a good understanding of my golf game. And I, I knew what my strengths were and I, I knew what, what areas were not my strengths and was able to develop a, a game plan um, for every course every time I teed it up 
that really utilize those strengths to the fullest. And um, so I think my, my ability to, to think my way around a golf course and be able to manage different situations that, that would arise um, were very beneficial for me. Hmm. Um, and you did have good work ethic. I remember you wearing out your clubs, those tailor-made <laughs> irons that you had as a kid. The center was wore out like, and my clubs never saw that. <laughs> I, I believe it or not, those clubs are still, they're sitting right over in the corner of my office. <laughs> right? You can see the center, right? the little <laughs> indentation yeah. in the center. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, obviously, I, I, I noticed you guys have had some some recent success at Illinois. Um, what um, kind of run through your recruiting process and how you kind of get those players in and, and foster those players when they get there? Sure. Uh, for, for us, you know, we start – Kind of tracking scores and their progress um, in eighth grade freshman year and, and continue to, to follow follow through on that. And then usually starting um, the second half of their sophomore year, um, we'll start sharing NCAA permissible in information with them and just trying to establish that relationship uh, and, and get give them some information um, not only regarding the University of Illinois, but about the NCAA and how the recruiting process works. Um, and, and so they have that uh, educational material because we understand it, it can be an overwhelming process uh, and, and just uh, getting some a, a good solid base established there with them understanding, you know, what the rules are and some of the things that they need to take care of to make sure they're in the best possible position to be recruited. And then um, obviously starting um, June 15th, we're able to, to make contact with the, the student athletes. And so um, we'll begin that process and establishing those relationships. And uh, through the course of, of that period of time, we'll hopefully have the opportunity to watch them play in person and, and gather a lot of information uh, during, during those rounds. What's what's kind of part of that information gathering? Is it uh, junior golf scoreboard? Is it AJGA? Is it local things? What? How how do they kind of get on the rate on your radar and stay on your radar? Yeah, yeah. That first step kind of is you know the numbers. Uh, yeah. you know, looking at a junior golf scoreboard, and, and then from there, um, like I said, having the opportunity to watch them play and and just getting a sense of you know who they are and how they go about. Um, conducting themselves on the golf course. You know, well, first off, you know, is this a person that you want representing your program and, and being an ambassador for the University of Illinois and our, our women's golf program and seeing how you know, they interact with others, whether it be their playing partners, their parents, volunteers, any staff members whatsoever, because that's a indi good indicator of how are they going to treat their teammates and their coaches in yeah. college as well? Um, and then just um, how they carry themselves, you know, their presence, um, you know, confidence level. And then um, you know, one of the biggest things is you know, how, how do they manage those days or those times when it isn't going so well? You know, when, when they don't have their A game or their B game or even necessarily their C game, are, are they finding a way to still get it done and, and, and post a respectable score 
or you know, do the, the wheels come off and the panic button gets hit, and and uh, it's a, a a real difficult time to to regroup. And so, um, paying attention to those things um, mean a lot, mean a lot, uh, because it's a good indicator of of what um, what will uh, take place in in the college realm as well. Here's kind of an interesting question because it comes up with our juniors a lot. I was. They'll say, like, I was out playing a tournament and a college coach came up and saw me and I just happened to bogey that hole. And then they went to another group and this, like, how much weight are you putting into that? You kind of talked about the characteristics that you're already talking about any or looking for anyway, right? Yes. yes. I mean, one hole, um, you know, it, it may not really, you know, obviously paint the, the full picture. And, you know, obviously coaches – typically are trying to see quite a few players uh, during the course of a single round, and they may only be able to allocate time to see one hole. And, and sometimes it's a matter of being able to put a face to the name so that in the future, when they are at another tournament, they they know who you are um, and, and what to look for. And so, you know, the, you know if the player would have happened to make birdie and the coach still <laughs> may have left to go watch uh, another group as well and so uh, I, I know a lot of times junior players um, put a lot of weight into that and uh, you know there's there's really no no need for that uh, just you know be, be happy that the coach was there was able to you know, again connect a face to a name and then um, it's a good idea follow up with the coach then if you have um, been able to to see a, a coach following you go ahead and, and follow up and let them know that you appreciated them coming out to watch and then you know, provide any, any information that you would like uh, as well as to ask some questions too that's really good advice and yeah. we hear that a lot from the coaches um do, do you do you ever go to a tournament uh, and, and looking at some players and then see interest in another one, like, oh, wow, who is that? And, oh, yeah. and then see potential and like, oh, I'm going to check this girl out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and each coach goes about that process a little bit differently. Um, and generally, when I'm going to a tournament, there are specific players that I am going to watch. Uh, but like you said, well, another player may be, paired with with one of those on our list that is impressive for any number of reasons and you know, I, I I want to gather more information about this this player who who is this what have they done in the past and and then continue to watch them either more that particular day or if it's uh, multiple rounds in the tournament the following day or two as well uh, just to to see uh, you know and get a good understanding of what their game is like and how do the players know that uh, the coaches are following them or do they don't, or you just kind of got to figure it out? Well, you know, sometimes it, it can be a load of like head to toe. <laughs> yeah. Usually we're, we're walking billboards yeah. so, from head to toe. <laughs> However, you know, on, on some of those maybe rainy or cooler days when everybody has a rain suit on that, that can make it a little bit difficult, but the umbrella could be a, a giveaway as well. Um, but, but usually there is some identifying piece of clothing that, uh, you know, what, what school the coach is from. And, but then, you know, some players are so, so locked in and in tune to what they're doing. They're kind of 
know, not aware uh, of other of other people out there watching. That's kind of how I would be. I wouldn't notice one coach watching me. <laughs> <laughs> She's locked in. Nicole's got an amazing mindset. Oh, Just yeah. locked in, shot to yeah. shot. Staying in the present. That's a great. That's a great thing there. Overattention. So, so we talked about there. There are kids that come on your radar as soon as eighth grade, and that point before they can contact you that June fifteenth, going into their junior year, right? Right. Is there just like files that you're just filing them in and, and kind of lining up your team a little bit beforehand before you can actually do any of that stuff? Yes, yes, we'll create files uh, for you know, different uh, prospects and then create a list as well uh, of, of prospects that, that we are, are tracking. And then, like I said, just follow their tournament results because at that point in time, um, that's, that's really what we can do. And then as we get a little bit more information, whether it be um, – contact info for their instructors or for their high school coaches, then we can reach out to them as well and, and gather information from those resources, which are, are very beneficial. Um, not only, you know, can they speak to the, to the golf skills and abilities, but then to their character and personality. The, the anxiety that we feel on, on our end is when, you know, people send in <clears throat> things to coaches like their freshmen, sophomore years and like, the coach didn't, didn't reply back to me. There's there's rules around that, right? So it's not like you're not reading it. It's just you can't reach back out, right? Exactly right, yes. Yeah. So I, I know that's kind of a, a tough one where you, you kind of feel like, well, I sent it out there right. and I, I got nothing back. Well, no, we, we did receive it. But like you said, NCAA rules prohibit us from responding to those. But we very much appreciate receiving that information and, and do encourage uh, prospects to, to do that because that is one way to get your name out there and to show that you are interested in that particular program. This sounds dumb, but can like it be as simple as like, is there red receipts? Like, you know, somebody opens it, like they get a little notice. Yes. Yes. I, I've received those in the past so that the uh, sender knows that it has been opened and received. I like it. I like it. Uh, what what type of outreach do you expect uh, recruits to do in order to kind of make your decision process as easy as possible? Well, you know, it, we really want our recruits to be proactive. You know, we want them to be invested in this process. I mean, this this is, up until this point in time, likely the biggest decision that they have made. Um, and, you know, we want to see that they are, are truly invested in this process and gathering the information and, um, you know, establishing relationships. For us, you know, it's about establishing that relationship to determine are they um, a great fit for our program? Are we a great fit for them? Um, because we, we want this to be a beneficial experience for everybody from not only, you know, golf, academic, as well as personal experience and so um, communication is a big thing so sharing that information via, via email via text via phone zoom calls as well uh, and, and so just that enables us to really get to know each other um, and like I said establish that relationship so uh, creating a resume uh, which includes 
golf as well as academic information and contact information, not only for themselves, their parents, instructors, high school coaches, you know, anything else or anybody else that they think would be, um, you know, a person that could speak uh, regarding them and, and provide coaches with, with helpful information. And then, um, you know, just continuing to follow up, uh, whether it's, Hey, I played in a tournament, or here's my upcoming tournament schedule. Would love to see you. You know, if you can make it out. Um, but then also, you know, some of the non-golf things as well. It, it, it's it, it's more than just that golf piece. So if they, you know, experience some success in their life, whether it's from an academic or personal side, share that as well because that you know tells a story. It tells That's a lot great about advice. who they are. That was a really cool interview. I love hearing that because it's just different perspectives from different people, different schools in this case. But the 41st Big Ten Women's Golf Championships came down to the back nine before Illinois prevailed over Northwestern and Ohio State at Fox Chapel Golf Club, Pittsburgh. You ever heard of it? It's phenomenal. It is? Phenomenal. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool to see Illinois women's golf. It's their first one, first yeah, Big Ten title. Yeah, first one to to kind of follow in the footsteps of the men. Um, you know, it kind of goes to show at that level too. Like you have to have a player's mentality. She was a stud growing up. Nicole just went on and on on how good Renee was as a, as a junior. She was intimidating. She's a tough mm-hmm. player. <laughs> I don't know if that's part of the <laughs> part of the interview or not, but. Um, yeah, it's it's cool to see that here locally that we're we're breeding talent because I would say on both tours, I don't think Illinois has done a great job, not the state of Illinois, not the University of Illinois necessarily, has done a great job as far as getting talent all the way up to the highest level. So we've got Nick Hardy, Doug Gim right now for the local guys. Gales, I mean, Nicole Dre might be the best women's player, the most decorated women's player to ever come out of the state of Illinois. Did you see Tommy? Tommy. Tommy Cool? Yeah, Tommy's getting an exemption he's, JDC. He's playing in it. Yeah, yeah. We saw Tommy out here during the stadium. He's he's a cool cat. I remember um, watching him play when he was 13 or 14 years old. First year he won the uh, state title as a freshman. He was a freshman in high school when he won the state title. Nice. Yeah, he's a great, great stick. All right, let's wrap it up. The episode here, a little PGA news. Uh, most recent meeting they had it in Detroit, the PIF Saudi deal, five hours long. Rory was there. The PGA released a statement after the meeting, saying it was a new phase of negotiations to determine if the tour can reach a definitive agreement that is in the best interest of our players, fans, sponsors, partners, and the game overall. So hard to say. It's almost like a done deal beyond the original framework of a deal. A lot's at stake on the business side for the PGA Tour, but the reputation as well. Needless to say, it's been an interesting month or year at this point. I mean, that came out of nowhere. That whole thing came out of nowhere. Yeah. Rory, <clears throat> yeah, Rory's, Rory's the face of it. Cause, so he has to be on the front lines for understanding what's going on. It sounds like Patrick Cantley, boring, is leading the charge for going against this whole deal. Oh, so I don't know <laughs> who cares about him, him and Shoffley maybe. I don't know, but um, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's going anywhere. I think it's probably just a little bit of. I think I actually think the hardest question going forward is how to make good on the guys that stayed. 
right? Yeah. So uh, it should be easy. Like quantify what they missed out on. Here's $2 billion and go away. Like it should be easy. <laughs> we it's promised just, you this and that, and then you stayed, and then sorry. It's just money. Yeah. Like in a weird way for them, it's just money. It just, weirdly comes down to all, just money. Like just give them some money and have them go away. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I know some things that came out of the meeting, mostly previously reported, PGA Tour gets the power. You know, they're the power. The PIF's the money. But no one really knows what will happen as far as Live Golf goes or an entity. That's done. And their events. That's toast. Why would you? Yeah. Why, why would there be an alternate tour? Yeah, if well, you're talking about bringing it together. Yeah. Right. Right, you think Dustin Johnson gives a crap? He's not going to want to He's not going to want to go be forced to play in Shanghai in some random event, right? Yeah. He wants to stay in the U.S. He's, he lives in West Palm, mm-hmm. like all the other guys. But then the last thing kind of is also the pathway return to the PGA Tour for the guys that left. Not sure quite what that is at this point. I don't know either. They haven't really they haven't really specified that. I mean, certain guys with certain world rankings should be fine, right? Should be absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I'm super worried, like, what the path back is for Cameron Tringali, you know? <laughs> What's his path back? I'm really worried about him. Um, but there's 20 guys on live that are just like him, like, in that 200-ish in the world range. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, a, kind of a bad road back. I don't know what the left to do. They might have to go through Corn Ferry. They might. They might have to re-qualify through Corn Ferry, which... Is a murderer's row these days. It yeah. is so hard. There's a lot of talent in there. Yeah, you're going up against the best in the college, and guys that are just falling off just just outside of the 125 on the PGA Tour. That's tough. But on the other hand, the PGA Tour now is um, it's almost easier to get on because of the fact they have the designated events. So the guys are focusing on these designated events, and then the alternate events like the JDC. You know they're there's guys like like Zach Blair almost won last week. Third place. Right. 1.8 mil. I haven't heard of Zach Blair in three or four years. I knew he was mm-hmm. designing golf courses. Yeah. But there's there's guys that have uh that are now in the mix that you haven't seen in a while. Let's end on a uh a positive note. Great golf story that I believe is. Ricky Fowler. Just his rise from mediocrity when people thought he was done. He's back. He's in the leaderboard. It's great to see. I think he's great for the game. Seems like a great person. You see him signing autographs for hours after. Uh, always has been. Always Just has been. Seems like a really good dude. Yeah, I mean, I think him and Jordan Spieth are like two peas, peas in a pod. Except Ricky's got a little cooler, swag, swaggier kind of nature to him on, on tour. Mm-hmm. Um, there is very few guys that have a fan following that even touches Ricky. I mean, for his actual record. It's it's pretty amazing on what what he's able to do, but yeah, I I think that it transcends in all sports. Like people that aren't fake, people love the most. Like the the guys that are like not douchey, not fake. Like those are those are the guys that that really have have staying power. You know, I've played golf a few times with Tony Romo. I think he's the greatest dude in the world as far as like he's just the most normal dude. And guess what? That comes through. Like. When he's broadcasting a game or people meet him and stuff like that, like that stuff comes through. And all you need is some people to tell a good story about yourself and that 
just makes everything better. I even ha- I mean, we even have that here to a very, very small degree. You entertain somebody well here, then they tell their buddies, and their buddies come, and then they have a good experience, and it's just just spreads like wildfire. Yep. Good things happening to good people. I'm a fan of that. Let's come back with another great episode a couple weeks from now, Andy. Adios. Sounds good. See everyone next time. Get in the car. Right at us. The best in the business, Roger Cleveland. Can't wait to get back to Chicago in this one. This is Party of Four, a Mistwood Golf Club podcast.